the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together and looking forward to uh, another great show, great program. Please do me a favor, do yourself a favor, do everyone a favor, and go on over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know. It will come into your inbox at 8 a.m. East Coast time. Couple of links, couple of stories, and a wink. Uh, 150, 200 words where I explain what you need to know, what you need to know. First thing in the morning, it helps a lot. You're going to want that. Everybody says it's great and you want it too. ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there. Uh, welcome to the Pro America Report. I'm Ed Martin. It's great to be with you. I'm, I'm, um, uh, excited. I'm up on the hill. I'm in the swamp, not of the swamp. Uh, and I've got a series of meetings that are going on this week up on the hill. I'll be able to report on some of it tomorrow. Uh, we'll see a lot of it. I can't report on, but I trust me on this. There are some people that want to fight back and fight to drain the swamp. Not enough, not enough, but some. Uh, we will get to uh, some of that uh, coming in a few moments. We'll update from the border. Our friend Todd Benzman is down on the border in uh, in uh, Texas, on the Texas border. I think he, he's either in Texas or Mexico. He's right there. He'll give us an update on what's happening down there. Uh, we'll also touch base with Mike Davis, noted attorney and activist about the Donald Trump um, indictment saga, a motion that the Trump uh, defense filed a few days ago, a day and a half ago, about when to do this trial and uh, and arguing that they, a, a trial before the election would be uh, election interference. Actually, that's not what it says. It says it would be uh, impossible to get a fair trial uh, in that time period because it'd be so much uh, scrutiny and so much attention. So uh, we'll talk with Mike Davis. But first, what you need to know and, um, you know, what you need to know today's wink, I have to say, um, when you look out on what's happening in this country and you say to yourself, um, what what is it that's happening and how how, how have, have things changed? One of the most traumatic shifts in the in the country, in terms of the politics, in terms of the leadership, has been our um, uh, partisan understanding or partisan support of war and overseas entanglements. It used to be just required that Republicans, as almost part of their platform, they were the Republican Party was the war party. It was the party that, you know, hey, we, we're going to beat the Soviets by being uh, militarily superior. That was Phyllis Schlafly's teaching, my old boss. We're going to beat the Soviets not by this. Um, oh, let's let's uh, trust the Soviets to be, uh, you know, nice people, détente, uh, and let's not let's not pretend if we just get along with the Soviets, it'll all play out. No, the Republican position was build up our military, be so darn strong that our allies will be uh, reassured and our uh, enemies will be afraid to mess with us, and that we. W- Thought, strength and including, you know, sort of uh, uh, the ability to quickly strike and to do it. 
was Republican, was the conservative stance. I'm not sure it was, by the way. I'm just saying that's where it was. 25 years ago, that was the position. You couldn't be an anti-war Republican. You just couldn't. The Democrats, though, and especially after uh, George W. Bush got us into the overseas wars, the Democrat Party had a positioning. They were positioned mostly because they were in opposition to W. As the Peace Party, Cindy Sheehan, remember her protesting and tying, I don't know, uh, I don't know if she tied herself up or whatever, tied herself to things. She was protesting for peace and largely attributed, attributable to Donald Trump. The Republican Party has completely become the party of anti-war. You can call it isolationist, isolationist. And that would have been a name that they gave to the Republican Party, some of the Republican Party uh, stalwarts back in the right around the World War Two. But but after World War Two, the the you know, the isolationists, the anti-interventionists were shamed as the bombs fell in Pearl Harbor. They were shamed to go away. Charles Lindbergh, who was widely respected and some of his colleagues and thought to be a serious guy and he was an American hero. He was largely against war in Europe and, and, and he was had not just egg on his face. But the way they characterized him, blood on his hands for the Pearl Harbor and the fact that then and they blamed him. They used it as a political cudgel. But by the time World War Two was over and the Nazism was so obvious and so horrendous as a world in world history and. The positioning became that the, the party against war were the lefties. Uh, Vietnam, you know, hippies. And then W. Bush, uh, there wasn't the war in, in the first Gulf War was so fast. It was almost uh, nobody could be against it fast enough. But it shifted and it shifted lar- attributable largely to Trump. And we said, conservatives, we don't want any more wars. We said we try. We've seen what it's like to spend trillions to try to, uh, you know, export American uh, uh, our republicanism or our democratic republic or any of these ideas is, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work in Libya. It doesn't work in, uh, in the, in, in the, uh, Middle East in general. It doesn't even work in Europe. We can't get our thing to spread and we can't spend enough money and, and put enough energy into it. And so the position has largely been don't bother with the wars down to today. And there are more Republicans and conservatives who would say, I'm not. I just had a conversation with one. I'm not interested in helping the corrupt Ukrainians fight the corrupt Russians. That's the that's what people say. You can quibble with the details. And then you go down. And what you need to know is that the parties, the uniparty has become those for war everywhere, anywhere. My recent study that came out, I forget now, I'll try to find the paperwork while we're talking, but it said if you go inside and, and look at the sources, the think tanks that have been referenced about the Ukrainian war, the war in Ukraine, 85% of the think tanks have received support from the military industrial complex. The ones that they're saying, hey, we got to fight. This is a big deal. We got to stop this uh, Ukrainian, the, the war, the aggression against Ukraine. People that are getting paid. By the military industrial complex warned about it by Eisenhower, who was a moderate Republican, a moderate conservative, thought to be a wise man. And warned us on his way out, probably the most famous farewell message since George Washington and by another general. But we're at this point here where the Republican Party is largely if you're Lindsey Graham and you want war, 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 you're out of touch with the Republican Party. It's, it's just true. And I think our nation, which brings us to this. For, uh, I don't know, five years, 
there has been a international movement to ban what's called cluster munitions, which is a kind of conventional weapon that acts as a sort of uh, cluster bomb. But it also the way the cluster bomb works is it ends up inevitably leaving lots of cluster. It goes to a place and it blows up. And as the parts blow up, it's not just shrapnel. The parts are themselves munitions. And it becomes inevitably when it's used in these foreign wars in Africa and wherever, Asia, that it leaves behind what effectively are explosive mines, little mines. And it's particularly devastating for uh, for non-combatants, lay people, not not the not the fighters. And so we have banned it. And we have said we wouldn't use it. We said it's cruel. It's un- we, they, we are so powerful, we could put a bomb in your pocket. We could land a rocket in your pocket if we had to. America. And we're not going to use these messy munition things that are basically just terror. They're terrorist conventional weapons, meaning they create terror. They're terror creating. They're not terrorists. They're terror creating weapons. And so what? Because... Joe Biden wants so much to to further the war and further war fighting. We're giving those weapons, these cluster landmines, these cluster bomb landmine creators to the Ukrainians with a straight face. Joe Biden, who has been against it before, and so has Trump, so has others. Because why? Because we have a, a set of people who have to continue the building, uh, the, the fighting of wars. And and by the way, many of us have said, as soon as this war is over, we will spend trillions of dollars to rebuild Ukraine. And when I say we, I mean you and me, American citizens. We just welcome Sweden into NATO. They'll start underpaying their obligation, just like the other members of NATO. What you need to know is it's it's more than embarrassing that Joe Biden just did that. I'm not against having our leaders be perceived, our president, being perceived, even our leadership in the House, as people that are sort of willing to do anything to protect the country. You know, they used to say with Trump, they'd say the the uh, foreign leaders thought he was just kind of crazy enough. He's like a lethal weapon. He's like Mel Gibson's character in Lethal Weapon. You're like, he he's just crazy enough. He might do something. And Trump said something like, I, I, I told Putin I'll just put one bomb, one nuke, one nuke in Moscow. And Trump laughed and said he wasn't sure if I meant it, but it didn't matter. I'm not against that. Because And Biden could be like that, too. What I'm against is when it's not in our national interest to betray our principles. And that's what Biden just did. Terrible. All right. That's what you need to know. We got to take a break. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Mike Davis, it's time to catch up with Mike Davis and get filled in on exactly what's happening. You know, uh, Mike Davis, of course, is, uh, well, he's, uh, I don't know if he's famous for a lot of things, but he used to be well-known because he was somebody who had uh, been at the highest levels operating to help uh, get judges appointed and help Senator Chuck Grassley. Now he's also out there as one of the leading voices, uh, I would say, kind of a, a, a legal commentator 
commentator, especially through Twitter on what's going on. And he does that because of, as a lawyer, he's uh, clerked, clerked at the highest levels, worked in, uh, um, in all the uh, big time places as well as private practice. His Twitter feed is insane. It's uh, at MRDDMIA. Uh, we'll talk about it. I don't even want to talk about it. Mike Davis, welcome back. Uh, he's the head of the Article 3 Project at Article 3, the number project on Twitter, Article 3 uh, Project.com. Um, Mike, I saw a tweet you had about this motion that President Trump, uh, President Trump asked uh, his lawyers, asked that the trials be delayed till after the election. So like a year and a half from now. Just as a matter of forget about president, because I think that's the reason it's necessary to have the conversation. But just normal people don't normal cases often drag out like a year. I mean, it's not that uncommon, is it? It's very common for these cases to drag out. Look what look what they're doing with the January 6th cases. Right, Um, right. Exactly. And I would say this, if you look at other classified proceedings cases, and President Trump cites this in his motion. They last, uh, they take a lot longer than six months or whatever the short time frame that Biden wants to have in order to try to throw his political pri- uh, political enemy in prison for the rest of his life instead of facing him in the November 2024 presidential election. So that and now we're back to now a question of sort of how things work in our legal system or, and not not necessarily how they should work, but how they do work. Um he files that motion. Can this judge say, you know what, that makes sense. Let's set the trial date, January 2025. And then if if she does that, is that appealable? You know, I don't know if that's immediately appealable or not, Ed. I'd have to look at that. I know that the standard that the Trump lawyers cite in the motion is abuse of discretion for the trial court, which is a very hard standard to over uh, it's a very it would be a very tough decision for the Biden Justice Department to overturn on appeal. And as the motion lays out, it's not even realistic that the government can have this trial in the next six months. You have to get security clearances for these attorneys to look at these documents. The Biden Justice Department are claiming uh, are claiming as classified. You have to do all the discovery. They're not even done. Uh, with the discovery, and they've turned over a million pages of documents that they expect tr- uh, Trump and his attorneys to get through, and they still need to get through the documents that are marked classified. And so you need security clearances for that. There's just not, there is no way, and and there is and there is no scenario in which you can get this trial done in the next six months and, and have a fair trial and a complete trial. And the, the Biden Justice Department knows this. I think what they could be trying to do is they set up these uh, they set up these orders by Judge Cannon so they can they can have their left wing allies bash Judge Cannon and say that she's a Trump toady and she's just trying to help Trump when, in fact, she's trying to protect criminal defendants, which is what a judge's job is to do during these criminal proceedings. Uh, we're talking again, Mike Davis, and uh, on Twitter, Mike Davis's uh, Twitter feed is uh, very active, and I, I'll retweet him now and, and put up there. But so, Mike, um, what is the timeline basically on this? So this, they file this. Uh, the the the, uh, the Trump uh, defense lawyers file this. Um, there'll be a reply. Um, the judge will rule, and then and then and could the judge split the baby? Is that what she says? You know what? Let's just. But how would she set a trial? Can you imagine what would what would it be like if there was a trial in July of next? year i mean how how practically could it work 
And that's the problem. And that's the, the that's the, the I mean, look, you had this same court, the Southern District of Florida move other trials. They they moved a trial date because it was unfair to the Panamanian dictator. Right. Noriega. So if you could move a trial to make it fair for the Panamanian dictator, you can move a trial to make it fair for the president of the United States and a, and a potential future president of the United States. It's no skin off the government's back to move this trial beyond the election. They waited, what was it, 18 months before yeah. they got these, they, they went to their biased magistrate judge and got this unnecessary, unprecedented, unlawful raid warrant on President Trump for, for presidential records he's allowed to have under the Presidential Records Act. They waited 10 months after that before Garland had Jack Smith bring his bogus charges. So if they can wait 28 months to bring charges against Trump for these trumped-up bogus charges. I don't understand how they're arguing that there's going to be some harm to our national security with delay here. That's just a nonsensical argument. Uh, Mike Davis is our guest. He's the founder and the head of the Article 3 Project, uh, article3project.org. And... um, Mike, is the um there was a news as as I was preparing to talk with you, I saw um the uh, leaks again from somebody in Georgia that the a grand jury, a state level grand jury in Fulton County was meeting, and the prosecutor there was uh, she was talking about or has been talking about uh, more indictments. There's a lot of talk that uh, that there's a, a another indictment coming out uh, for, against Trump for uh, a federal one on uh, January sixth. What what is your sense at this point of of I mean at the, by now you have a you Mike Davis have a pretty good handle on who these people are that are doing this meaning the world of lawyers who are a uh, play at this level is relatively limited you know and you know who they are you know what they're doing you can recognize what are they you know what do we, what do you expect next are we just going to see another indictment in Georgia and then another indictment for January 6th and they're just going to uh, have the talking point be Trump's under indictment everywhere make him waste his time and money on all that hope that one of these damages him some way what, what do you think this is going or is anything changing the trajectory the sort of grinding trajectory of these people well it's the same thing that we've been saying since august ed which is this is lawfare by biden and garland and these democrat da's uh this they fear that they cannot beat trump in the next election so they simply are indicting him and the problem is is this is backfiring on the democrats where we had alvin bragg up in new york this soros funded manhattan da who brought in Matthew Colangelo right. from the Biden Justice Department, and they uh, they <clears throat> resurrected that zombie case against Trump, this bogus legal theory that Trump settling a nuisance claim as a businessman is somehow a federal campaign finance felony, which is just nonsensical. This theory was passed, passed over by the prior Manhattan DA, the Manhattan U.S. Attorney, the Federal Election Commission, and Alvin Bragg himself. And then Bragg took heat from the left. Matthew Colangelo got sent from the Biden Justice Department, and they brought the indictment against Trump back in April. And now we have Jack Smith bringing this bogus indictment against Trump. uh, Garland and Jack Smith bringing this bogus indictment against Trump for a former president having his presidential records in the office of former president, which he's allowed to have under the Presidential Records Act. And so that's part of it. The next one, like you said, Ed, the next part of this lawfare are both Fannie Willis, another Democrat DA in Fulton County, Georgia, and Jack Smith, another 
Democrat operative who gets overturned unanimously by the Supreme Court is going to bring the, this, these bogus charges against Trump for January 6th. And this is what I would say about January 6th. Regardless of what you think about the advocacy on January 6th, it was a legal protest. There was a uh, permit by the National Park Service. There, uh, the the uh, objecting to a presidential election was permitted by the Electoral Count Act of 1887. It's also permitted by the First Amendment. Even if you think they're crazy, even if you think they're wrong, they have a statutory and First Amendment right to object. And the first, they had a First Amendment right to protest. They had a National Park Service permit to protest. It was a protest that got out of control and turned into a riot. It was not an insurrection. How many insurrectionists get to a Senate floor of a nation's capital and take selfies and don't burn the damn place down? And so this is all part of lawfare. If you're saying that that was an insurrection and everyone should be charged, how come they haven't charged all the people who encouraged and participated in the BLM protest around the country. Right, exactly. Yeah, a lot more no. damaging than January 6th. Yep. All right, Mike Davis, as always, uh, filling in the blanks. Uh, you need to follow him on Twitter and uh, follow him on TV. He's on all over the place right now. Thanks, Mike. As always, uh, I'll put up on social media a link to a couple of his recent tweets on some of this. We will take a break, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, like always, off the air, I was just talking with our next guest, and uh, I wish I recorded these conversations because we were laughing. He was uh, teaching me how to say his name, Katsimatidis. John Katsimatidis, I won't tell you how he taught me to do it, but his book, which is really good and interesting, How Far Do You Want to Go, is the name of the book. Matt Holt Books, an imprint down there from in Texas, Ben Bella Books. How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense uh, Billionaire. Sir, welcome to the program. How are you? Well, thank you for having me on. And uh, boy, you got that name right. I mean, <laughs> from Jersey originally. So. I, got, I learned a few things. I, I could learn. I can learn fast. Hey, first of all, America is so exceptional. And your life and career, when you read this book, how far do you want to go? The title could have been only in America in the sense that. If you want to take risks, if you want to be, you know, want to be someone who goes for it, you can do it in America. People forget that the reason people like you have spent a lot of your time. I, we were talking off the air, WABC, when I grew up, uh, was one of the great stations in, in New York. Uh, now you, you bought it and you're rebuilding it. I know Roger Stone, my old friend is on there on Sundays now. He's got his program, but, but uh, America's from number 28. We took it up to the top one or two or three uh, right now in the whole East Coast area. Well, and, and, and it's, um, it's a great signal, of course. I'm from St. Louis. I lived in St. Louis, as I was telling you, for, uh, 25 years. And, and the big five, uh, excuse me, KMOX is that same 50,000 watt signal that's like a clear channel. It just blows across the, so it's cool you're doing. All right. But John, I want to ask you, and, and again, uh, Katsimides is our, Katsimides is our guest. He's, uh, famous for having been, a uh, a grocer, having been an investor, having been a talk show host himself. But how come America is so special? Why is it wor worth fighting for? Because only in America, land of opportunity. Don't forget those words. Yeah. Uh, immigrants are coming in from the 1800s, the 1900s. My two grandfathers came here in 1913. And guess what? They were looking for the streets paved with gold. And uh, some of them, it took a little bit longer to find the gold. But eventually, you know, I would say almost anybody that wanted to succeed, you're capable of succeeding in America. And you know who's buying my book? 
the people, the grandfathers, grandmothers, fathers, mothers, and they're giving it to their kids in hope that a few key words in that book will catch their eye and say, I want to make it too. When I grew up in Harlem on 135th Street, I remember uh, the first television show was uh, I was looking at. It was Burke's Law. And mm, yeah. it was a detective named uh, uh, Burke. And he had a Rolls Royce. And <laughs> I said, my God, I want to have a Rolls Royce someday, too. <laughs> That's and, <it. laughs> you know, it, it's, it's those key words, the key things that catch uh, uh, different kids at different ages and makes them work harder and wanting to succeed. Um, John Katsimatidis is our guest and his uh, book, um, again, Matt Holt is a, a publisher. How far do you want to go? Um, uh, lessons from a common sense billionaire. Um, it reminds me when I read the book and especially I, I, I my reader, my listeners know I bounce around in books. So as I was going through this book and that reminded me of the old, um, the, also a New Yorker, Norman Vincent Peale, the famous guy who did the power of positive thinking. Like every, every chapter in this book is you saying, look how something good can happen. And even when it's not all good things. In other words, you, you, you keep you, your, your mindset is always sort of whatever nowadays they have these, all these mindset experts and all that junk, but that, you know, you're going to make things work. What's the biggest fear you have when you look at, where we are in this country. What, what is it that the young people don't have the a sense of what your book talks about? Is it that the I government is the so dark cute that it's smothering us? What are you, what are you worried? What's your top of your list? The biggest fear I have right now is we're under attack in so many directions in our country. And that Washington has a problem. Washington uh, is for sale sometimes. And we're not watching out. The, the places that were under attack, our borders. I mean, you don't have, why do anybody need passports? You just got to go, go down to the border and walk in. Right. The fentanyl problem in the three major wars we had, Afghanistan, Korea, and Vietnam, less than 100,000 people have died. In, in fentanyl, the last 12 months, 107,000 Americans have died in the last 12 months. This is not a war. Right. I mean, give me a break. And our universities, somebody is paying off our universities and, and converting them to, 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 to a woke culture. I mean, Americans are starting to revolt. Look what happened to Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Look what's going on with Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And, you know, if you want your stock to be worth half price, go out there and join the woke culture. That's what I tell American CEOs. Uh, again, our, our guest is, uh, John, John, John and, uh, his book, which I'll put up links on social media. I was finishing the book. It was interesting to me at the, at the very end of the book, the last chapter, you're talking about opportunities and, um, and you actually are talking about, uh, the, uh, WABC, the purchase and all. I guess, you know, one thing again that you would have been a, a, an observer of for these decades is the shift in the media. That you, when you started out, especially in grocery business, you had to, you sold to the you know, advertisements and newspapers. Now we got all this digital stuff. When you, you know, at a certain point, you're like, hey, talks, talk, you know, talk radio became great. Now you look and you see all this social media stuff, which is a, you know, it's sort of the next generation. How, how worried are you about the power of the media? 
to to sway our kids and ourselves to what's really going on. Well, if you read if you read the latest media on me, we yeah. didn't trying to get a hold of CNN. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because CNN, there's a purpose in them living, and even Ted Turner would be turning over right now the way they're running it. Yeah, and, and the fact is. <laughs> CNN is available in 185 countries, and 185 countries is not getting the correct media. Right. So what does that mean? It hurts yeah. the whole – in the whole world, our country is being hurt because CNN is not delivering the, the truth. And that's what we want. And don't forget, in our book, you can buy you can buy the Barnes & Noble. You can buy it at, at, uh, at Amazon. And you can also buy it on WABCRadio.com. You get an autographed copy. And you know, hmm. if you get it from WABCRadio.com with an autographed copy, when you finish reading it, you can sell it on eBay for twice as much. <laughs> that's, that's good. It's good business. By the way, I, my listeners know, uh, uh, John, I did a stint at CNN. I lasted. In fact, I called Roger Stone. You'll love this story. Right before CNN gave me an offer to become a contributor in 2017, I called Roger Stone. I said, Roger, what do you think I should do? He said, take the job and plan on getting fired. He said, it may take you a month. It may take you three months. It took me about four months. And then I got fired by them because uh, one of their people complained that I was uh, you know, a, a bigot, a racist, everything else under the sun. So it's you're right about that. The question is whether, you know, I mean, you're you're like the you're the one guy that is, is still fighting in media. When I look at radio, for example, Salem, what I'm on, they are too. They, they're they're keeping conservative voices on, but that's that's about it. And like in New York, they don't even try. I mean, these guys, the 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 the, the, the things are so liberal as they breathe in in the in New York market. I, I mean, it feels the, daunting. Uh, well, the American people are revolting right now. Look at the price of Disney stock. It went from 180 down to 90. Look at the look what happened to Anheuser Busch. Look what's happening to Target. Look what's happening to Unilever because they own. Ben and Jerry's. The American people are saying enough is enough. Because all you see on television is all these picketers. You know where those picketers come from? The ones that don't have jobs and have nothing else to do. And somebody gives them a hundred bucks a piece to go pick it. Yeah. It is uh it is amazing. Uh it is amazing. All right. So uh last last uh, uh give it a little pitch again. I got about a minute left on the book. Um, on the book. If you read page two fifty-five, it gives you the secrets of success. You know, I remember the number one is if you're afraid, if you're afraid of uh, uh, of losing, don't go into business. Hmm. You know? Yep. Yep. And, there it is. And, I got I got I'm looking at it. Sorry. Yep. I will. What does it say? What does it exactly say? You can't win if you're too afraid of losing. That's the first That's one. It. That's it. Yep. And the, other, and the other 14 or 15 of them. And it, it gives grandfathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, fathers, buy it for your kids. And guess what? You might make a difference in their lives. The last line of that is uh, dedicate to the last two, 15 and 16, dedicate everything to the people you love the most. And then the last one, number 16, which everybody will say about you uh, again, John Katsimatidis says our, as our guest is have fun, have fun. So uh, we got to run though. I'm out of time. So we will put it up on social media. Thank you for what you're doing. You. And we'll have you back on again. God bless. And Martin, we'll catch up to you with you soon. Okay, uh, John Katsimatidis there, and I'll put it up on social media. Awesome. What a uh, incredible – I, I could talk to that guy for uh, uh, 20 hours instead of a 10-minute segment. We'll take a break, though. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. From Islamophobia to homophobia – 
The left likes nothing better than to slap conservatives' reasoned arguments with the phony phobia labels. As liberal judges seize more and more control over American families, it's time for us to start pointing out this simple fact. They have a problem with fathers. They have father phobia. On Father's Day last month, we heard plenty of people talk about the importance of fathers. But when it comes to family court cases, the importance of fathers often takes a backseat to a principle known as, quote, the best interest of the child, end quote. Using this innocuous sounding justification, judges often relegate fathers to occasional visits with their children or sometimes no visits at all. And too often give fathers no decision making power in their children's rearing. Quoting the great Phyllis Schlafly, every successful civilization has placed the responsibility for rearing the next generation on children's own parents, both mother and father, replacing that proven practice with the notion that a village should raise children, according to non-parents, subjective and misguided notions of what is in a child's best interest is a radical departure from the traditional rule that parents should possess shared responsibility for raising their own children, end quote. Phyllis had it right. Millions of American children live in divorced households, and those children need the influence of their father just as much as any other child. Mothers and fathers are not interchangeable. Just as a father could never replace the love of a mother, so too could a loving mother never replace the role of a loving father. Family courts should not pretend otherwise. Every prosperous society in the history of mankind has left decisions about the best interests of a child up to the child's parents. Conservatives should not let the left get away with their father phobia. The default position of any family court case should be equal shared parenting for both the mother and the father. That's the best way to set our children up for the very best future possible. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, you know, I, I got a text um, from one of the listeners uh, about the Daniel Schmidt interview. Daniel Schmidt is that young man who is um, a University of Chicago junior. Uh, he's going to be a junior. He's going into his third year of, of undergrad. Um, and they were so impressed with him, as was I. The guy's uh, probably 19 years old. Uh, I guess he's 20 years old, close to 21, 20 to 21 years old, and very poised, uh, did an interview with me, poised in his uh, TV appearances, Jesse Waters, uh, Tucker Carlson. He had um, a number of questions that he recorded himself uh, at University of Chicago asking people questions. Just very put-together young man. Um, and uh, by the way, I welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, as I say all that, at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter is where you can find all the links to the show, uh, especially standalone links like Daniel Schmitz. Um, but what got me uh, thinking was one of the people that texted me and said, um, at this point, this is interesting, at this, and this dovetails with something I've been thinking. He said, Daniel Schmidt doesn't need to still be in college. 
Daniel Schmidt could be earning his living as a professional. Daniel Schmidt is uh, going to be a junior. He's got two more years at the University of Chicago. Conservatively, the University of Chicago's tuition, not the room and board, uh, not the living expenses to live in Chicago, just the tuition. Conservatively, that's thirty-five or $40,000 a year each, a year per year, not each. Um, I guess I could be conservative. Maybe it's thirty grand a year. Maybe, but I don't know. It's something like that. And I don't think he needs it. Which brings me to another point. It feels to me like things that used to take uh, longer are taking shorter to do. For example, it feels like a college experience like Daniel Schmitz had two years seems about right. I mean, if you're actually going to be trained, you know, you got to take economics or accounting or engineering. I guess there are some courses that you can't stack up onto each other fast enough. But if you're if you're going to sort of get the regular skills of a functioning uh, professional Westerner, you know, being able to read and write and communicate, it feels like two years is about right. And yet the system is set up for four years. And people are paying for four years and even more telling or more important the system being set up the way it is means that taxpayers are funding in every state. There is a, 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 a sophisticated network. Uh, I don't know why I said, I don't know why I needed to use the word sophisticated. There is a, a network of universities and colleges that will cover your uh, students in your state going to school. You can go to University of, you can go to Montana. There's the University of Montana, Montana State. There's community colleges. There's a number. But if you go to a state like Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, or you go to Texas, we're talking about dozens and dozens of schools in Texas. In Virginia, there's probably 15 state-run schools funded by tax dollars that still charge tuition that are set up on the four-year plan. And it feels like even, I must say, in high school, it feels like things are, are taking too long. They're set up for an era or for a time period where, for whatever reasons, you needed to take four years to go to college, for four years to go to high school. I'm not sure what the reasons were. But at this point, if you get the right kind of program, you can learn skills that transform your life in six weeks, eight weeks, you know, I've, you've heard me talk about like the Dale Carnegie courses and courses like that. Here's one that I, I mean, again, maybe this isn't as applicable now because of uh, of uh, talk to type or whatever that phrase is. You know, you can dictate to your phone and Siri can do things. But when I was a young man, I, I think it was in uh, uh, the years, the summers over in high school, I was forced to take a typing class by my parents. And here's a, a story I don't often tell. I uh, The first time I took it, the first summer, I skipped almost every class and I, I didn't learn how to type. It was I don't think it was graded, so I didn't fail. And at, my parents realized that they made me go back the next year and take it, and I had to sit through it. And to this day, I can type very fast. And it made a huge difference in my life in six weeks. Now, that's a silly example, but I recently gave to my kids a one-page document on how to be a better writer how to be a how to be a writer actually just simple things active voice you know hunt down every loose adverb and adjective and get rid of it kill it you know the mark twain line so something about modern life has i think made things possible in a shorter period of time and it's not just technology somehow it's uh, i don't know the specialization i don't know what it is but uh, i wonder how that's going to shift I wonder how that's going to shift. I, I met a young, uh, uh, met a young person, young woman 
who was in school at uh, uh, William and Mary, a, a very, uh, you know, historic uh, university in Virginia. And she was going to school at, at William and Mary and at St. Andrews in Scotland. They have a d- dual degree, pro- a joint, a joint program. And you go to four years of college, uh, two at William and Mary and two at St. Andrews, and you get a degree from both places in that time. And I said to her, are you worried about uh, that you're going to be only in one place for two years? And she said, no, two years seems like enough time. And I agreed with her. I thought about it afterwards. So anyway, there's a little bit of a, a digression, but um, our, our reaction to one of the texts, uh, a text that I got from a listener about this young man, Daniel Schmidt. And some things that we, this is maybe my final point on this, some things that we think or that we have done a certain way for a long time, we have to rethink them. You know, the certain college universities, how universities developed, how college, obviously people say that a lot, but I, I had not thought about the time, the number of years, for example, and same thing with high school and same thing with other things. Jobs. Uh, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, you had a, a, when I was a young man, you had a sense you couldn't quit a job. You wouldn't ever change jobs except you tr- try to stay for two years in my head because you didn't want to look like you were unstable, that you were shifting in and out. I'm not sure that's true. And I'm not sure we expect it true. Oh, one last example. Well, that's all. I got to go. I got to go. Thank you to Noah Dingley. I'll come back to this. I got another example on uh, on advocacy. I have a friend of mine who said that we ought to change how people go about trying to get things done in terms of public advocacy. But thank you to Noah Dingley, our producer, Ryan Hyde, associate producer. Thanks for listening. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.